What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. It's time for Clemson Sports Talk with Lawton Swan. Ready, Just call me Swanee. Finally, Clemson Sports Talk has come back to drive time. Hello, everybody. Lawton Swan back in the saddle. Once again, it is the show that shakes the Southland. Clemson Sports Talk for you each and every afternoon as you make your way around the great state of South Carolina and beyond listening to us in the Midlands on Fox Sports Radio 1400 in the PD on Sports Radio 100.1, the fan in the low country on 920 AM in Manning. Again, your website, Clemson Sports Talk. Dot com. Go check it out on Twitter at Clemson Sports, and we want to have you be a part of the program. But first, out of the gates, here on a Thursday afternoon, our good buddy Mark Packer joins the program. Mark, what's going on, my man? I hope you're doing well, and it's always great to have you on the show. Yeah, no problem. It's uh, you know, it's it's not Groundhog Day, but it's necessary to, to jump up and, and keep grinding and you know, stay afloat. So uh, we're staying safe and staying smart. And uh, I think we're starting to see light at the end of the tunnel, which is a good sign. You know, it's a, it's such a unique time and I've been listening to your show as well. And I know that's been quite different from the standpoint of, you know, the normal routine where uh, I think the other day you had a, you had a a show about, you know, what people's kind of new pastimes or whatever it was, you know, things they're doing to, uh, to just kind of move through this COVID-19 situation. How about you? What's changed from that standpoint, from your perspective, and what are you doing a little bit more of? Well, I was going to say we did a uh, – when, when this COVID-19 thing hit, I came up with an idea that we were going to – since our shows can't be live because all the studios are closed on SiriusXM up in D.C. and New York. So we basically have been – not only is it not a live three-hour show, it's now becoming a recorded one-hour show just because nobody can get in the studio to produce anything. Uh, so we've uh, we've decided to do interviews, and um, the interviews have been great. And so I came up with an idea three months ago that no matter who we interviewed, and we've had literally anything from uh, high-profile coaches, athletic directors, celebrities, uh, celebrity chefs. I mean, it's been in literally every walk of life. And one of the questions I thought I would ask every one of them uh, was, what is going to be your new guilty pleasure during during the pandemic? And it could be binge watching, it could be food, it could be a hobby. I mean, who knows what the answers were going to be. And it's been fascinating to listen to what everybody has been doing just to, you know, to, number one, kill some time and take their mind off of all the other issues. And so we turned it into a special um, over the weekend during the Memorial Day weekend. And it was cool. It was fun to listen to what people have been working on. And it ranged anywhere from kayak surfing to playing the trumpet to learning Russian 
I mean, you name it. It was just a, it, it was really kind of neat to see what people were doing with themselves. So we turned that into a special. So going back to your question, what have I been doing? Um, I, I think, to be honest with you, it's the same thing. I, I read all the time. Uh, we're still doing, you know, kind of the best of Packer and Durham uh, from a TV perspective. And hopefully we've got some news coming down the, the pike here pretty soon about uh, the changes on that front, which will be good. Um, the radio part of it still stays the same because the studios are still closed, Sirius XM. So, you know, I'm still doing an, an, an everyday radio show. We're still doing a weekly television show, even though that will go back to being daily here pretty soon. And uh, so that hasn't changed a whole lot. Um, the one thing I've picked up just to um, take my mind off, I've always dabbled in magic, believe it or not. Card really? tricks, coin tricks. Yeah, I did that as a kid. And, you know, I, you know, I got so busy, I'd put it on the back burner. But during the uh, this COVID-19 pandemic, I have gone back to really studying card tricks. And, I'm, and I'm, this is not like, hey, I'm going to pull an ace out of my sleeve. I mean, I really <laughs> love – I really – this sounds bizarre, but I really love great card magic. And so I've studied it and, and uh, all that stuff from years past. I've kind of brought that back out just to kill some time and – worked on moves and stuff. And again, for anybody that's done this kind of stuff, you know how time consuming it is. Um, Cause everybody wants to see a trick, but I man, it takes so much time and practice to do tricks. I've even incorporated uh, even on our Packer Durham uh, while we've been doing this virtual thing and West is down in, in uh, Cartersville, Georgia. And I'm up here in Charlotte. Uh, we did a magic trick on Packer and Durham uh, via um, the virtual thing and, and math is not a strength for West Durham and we always laugh about it. So I came up with a math magic trick with cards. And so we performed that on the air goofing around. So that's what I've been doing literally to kill time to get away from reading about sports and, you know, all that stuff that's going on in the world and all that stuff. And my wife loves it because she knows I can just literally lock myself down in the basement with a deck of cards and, and just study and work on stuff. And she knows I'm out of her hair. So it's become a, a win-win proposition. And the dogs, of course, are still down there with me in the basement, whether I'm on the radio doing TV or doing card tricks. So uh, that is how I've actually uh, killed some time here over the last three months. Pac-Man the Magnificent, if you will, with the card tricks. <laughs> I'm not going to go that far. But it, I love the construction of a brilliant card trick. And, and I know that sounds bizarre and maybe nerdy to a lot of people, but uh, I just find it fascinating how people create uh, a way to, to kind of misdirect you and all that stuff. But I've been doing that as a kid. That was my hobby as a kid, other than playing golf and stuff. And uh, I always loved it. I've, I've, I've found it uh, to be incredibly interesting to watch people of figure out ways to fool people. And um, so there it is. Now you know the rest of the story. You know, it's funny. I've always been more of a, a coin trick kind of guy and have enjoyed that for whatever reason. But you know the thing that I've found with Magic, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners who have kind of dabbled in that, once you know how it works, there's there's also a level of disappointment. Do you find that? Um, it, on certain tricks. The stuff I love are, are tricks that I know that it would take me years of practice uh, to force a certain card or to make, you know, whatever the, the premise of the trick is. Sure. And I enjoy the construction of misdirection as much as I do actually performing something, if that makes any sense whatsoever. As a matter of fact, my wife and the girls went down to uh, Seabrook Island uh, for the week uh, for Memorial Day, and I started working on this new card trick, and I was so excited because I started to get the hang of it and uh, my wife, of course, got home, and 
She goes, what have you been working on? I said, let me show you. (laughs) And so it was one of those things. So she grabbed a cold beer. She sat down and and, and to appease my deal. And I said, all right, here's the deal. And so I go through this whole trick. And even she admitted, she goes, you know, I got to admit, that was pretty good. So, um, you know, I got satisfaction from that perspective. That at least fooled one person uh, out of the deal. But, um, you know, I, I think that if you do that stuff long enough, uh, and when you see the great, and I love to go watch uh, real great magicians. I love sure. it. Um, and I don't try to worry about it, to figure it out. I just kind of watch the, uh, you know, the, again, the, the, the preparation and how they, number one, present a uh, situation. Again, this is true, whether we're talking about business, a magic trick or whatever. To me, that is always the intrigue about how they do the setup as opposed to the actual, ta-da, there's the finished product. So, uh, again, the construction of the trick to me is as interesting as the trick itself. Yeah, that show Fool Us is a pretty good one for any uh, magicians. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, they've been doing some home, you know, teaching people how to do stuff at home that you can do during the quarantine. It's been uh, it's been right. it's been very interesting, and and I really do appreciate the the work that goes into magic. Hanging out with Mark Packer here on the show, and, and Mark, you mentioned the changes to your schedule. So for people that you know, keep up with you with Packer and Durham, then off campus, kind of a morning show, an afternoon show, w- construct a day for us. What time are you up? What's your uh, midday look like? How does all that <laughs> fall into place? I, I hate to break the news to you. You're talking about disappointment. When I get done answering this question, uh, people listening to this interview are going to go, God, what a boring life this guy has. <laughs> uh, people think, I, said, I swear to you, people think, oh, my God, you've got the greatest job. And I do have a great job, and I love it. And it's not work because I love what I do. Uh, but in a typical day, when we're on doing our typical three hours in the morning for television on ACC Network and then three hours in the afternoon for radio on Sirius XM, a regular day for me is pretty simple. I mean, it's almost, it's almost boring, to be honest with you. I'll get up about uh, 3.30 in the morning, uh, maybe 4. Uh, I'll go get the dogs, Chester and Fuller. We'll go out, clear my head. It's a good morning. It's raining, whatever the case. doesn't matter. We're out. And uh, I'll let them run around for 20 minutes or so, do their thing. And I get back, uh, back in the house, and I'll start working on the TV thing. And to be honest with you, we worked on the television show really the day before, like the evening before – uh, once I get done with dinner, which will eventually be about 8 o'clock, from like 8 to 10.30, I'm working on the TV show. And then I get up at 3.30, 4 o'clock, and then really from 4 till 6.30, uh, we're still working on the television thing. And that is basically news. Uh, you read something you want to tweak. Maybe you got a take on something that happened. And maybe, again, who knows what it is. You, you find out, obviously, the day before who you're going to have one from a guest standpoint. Uh, you do some research on all that kind of stuff. And you keep up with all this stuff 24-7, 365. But, you know, obviously, if it's a live show, you got to be on top of the latest news and all that stuff. So wake up at 3.30. You do your thing. Uh, wow. You take a quick shower at 6.30. The worst part about the TV deal is you got to shave every day, which I do, and I hate that. Uh, and then I walk down the steps. And at 7 o'clock, it's showtime. And Wes and I are doing our dog and pony. And, you know, we'll go from 7 to 10 live. And then um, – if we have to do some promos or whatever the case may be afterwards, uh, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. But normally that's done by 1030. Uh, I'll go upstairs, see the wife, see how she's doing, get caught up to speed if she had a bad dream or whatever. You know, who knows? Right, right. Uh, and, and, and by 11 o'clock, 
uh, I'm already cleared my head and started working full throttle on the radio show. And it's the same kind of premise. You kind of know who the guests are going to be the day before. So you start constantly working on updates and research and, you know, hot topics that are going on during the day, news of the day. Uh, so really from 11 to about 3.30, all I'm doing is reading, reading or making phone calls. And uh, by 4 o'clock, it's showtime. And so we go from 4 to 7 on the radio show. And at uh, 7 p.m., I literally walk up the steps. Hopefully there's dinner waiting on me or we're going to go grab dinner or whatever the case may be. And uh, that's over by 8. And then I start working again. So from like 8 to 10.30, I'm already working on tomorrow's television show. So that is really the day. It's boring. There's not a whole lot to it. I seldom leave the house um, other than getting up in the morning with the dogs or if I want to clear my head 30 minutes after the TV show, I'll take a drive in the Ford F-150 with the hounds and just, just to clear your head uh, or to go grab a bite of lunch or whatever the case may be. But for the most part, it is a pretty boring day. Um, yeah, but you're, you're not getting much people, sleep. Five hours at the max there. Oh, max. Yeah, I, I don't sleep. I, I never have been a very good sleeper, and it's been a problem. But, you know, I don't have sleep apnea. I've done all the sleep tests, all that stuff. I, I just don't run on a whole lot of sleep. So. Uh, that is normally the day, but I mean, people always say, oh my God, your job's unbelievable. And it, it is, it's great. You meet unbelievable people, you travel and get a chance to interview incredible guests. Uh, but basically you read or on the phone, uh, seemingly 16 hours a day. I mean, really for the most part, but, um, that's it every single day. Uh, and there's not a whole lot of, um, fanfare to it it's not one of those things where people go oh my god that's so cool i mean it's cool that you walk downstairs and espn's built a television studio down there and sirius xm's got their dog and pony down there too so the, the commute's awesome um but in terms of you know the wow and the wow and pizzazz and people are always like man i'd love to just kind of hang out i'm like well if you like to watch somebody read on the computer or be on the phone all day that's basically <laughs> what you're going to see because it really isn't as glamorous as people think it might be but you, know, you just put in the work and it's like anything else it doesn't really matter what you do if you love what you do it's not work and but you, you know there's you don't cut corners you got to get it done and you know i'm not in the mood of just throwing some stupid hot take up against the wall so people can go to your twitter account or say hey did you hear what so-and-so said and and half that stuff is total bs so, i mean i don't play that game so you got to go do your work so you know that's what it is I wish I wish I had a better story, but that's all there is to it. Mark Packer hanging out with us here on Clemson Sports Talk this afternoon. And Mark, as we head into the back end of May, I know that you are in touch with people coast to coast, whether that be commissioners, coaches, players, whomever. What is the sense and vibe that you've got today potentially about what football season could look like? Uh, to be honest with you, I thought the NCAA's announcement last week saying, hey, basically June 1st and the doors are open, have at it. Uh, and again, all the conferences have basically made their announcements of their dates and times that they want to get back. And not everybody's on the same page, but the good news is everybody's moving forward. Uh, I thought that was the best news of the pandemic uh, with the NCAA making that announcement. And I've said this from day one. The thing that's been interesting for me, uh, sitting in the chair that I'm in, uh, is whether Kirk Herbstreet was asked in March or Dabo Sweeney was asked in April, or you fill in the blank with your favorite person. Uh, and whatever their opinion was, whether it was no football to, hey, we're going to be on time in a full schedule. And then that's kind of where the spectrum is. It was amazing to me to watch 
All these people who were asked a, a question to give an opinion, who gave an opinion, who got ripped by people in the sports media, I couldn't figure it out thinking, hey, wait a minute. You asked a question. They gave an opinion. <laughs> now, it may not agree with yours, but nobody knows the answer. I mean, here we are on the cusp of June 1st. And none of us still have the answer of when the season is going to be or how long it's going to be. But to me, it's no longer a question of if, all right? I mean, three months ago, the question was, hey, if, hey is it possible? If is it possible we're not going to have football? I think we're definitely going to have it unless something absolutely out of nowhere, like a second giant wave of COVID-19 hits and all of a sudden we're back to square one. But I don't think that's going to happen, in my opinion. Um, I, I think that we're going to have a season. I don't know how long it's going to be. I hope it's on time and we get the full 12 regular season games. But I'm as encouraged today as I've been at any point in time uh, since we shut all this stuff down in the middle of March. And I still contend that when you've got the smartest people in the world with unlimited resources and everybody has the common goal to figure out a way to slow down or find a vaccine for this virus, uh, I'm going to put my money on the smartest people in the world, in the medical profession in particular, especially with an incentive to get this done and be the first. Uh, so, I, you know, here we are in basically June 1st. I suspect the world will be very different on July the 1st because this is such a fluid situation and there's such an incentive to figure out what the deal is. And, uh, again, where are we, are we going to have college football with, with uh, 82,000 in Death Valley? I got no idea, but I do think we're going to have football in Death Valley. And um, so we'll see where it goes. But I'm as encouraged today as I've been at any point in time since we shut this thing down in the middle of March. Mark Packer on the show that shakes the Southland for just a few more minutes, taking a look at and giving his thoughts on what it could be like for us all as we get set to head back to campuses, hopefully, and uh, seeing those student athletes get back on campuses obviously is uh, a huge step in that direction and taking a look at what the college football season could look like the early favorite favorites for our listenership for our alma mater me and you both uh, the Clemson Tigers sitting right there uh, you know, with a, a great opportunity in front of them um, from the standpoint of, of what Clemson's got by comparison to everybody else in the country maybe offensively who who challenges them from the offensive standpoint coast to coast in your mind's eye well, I think the team that they beat in the Fiesta Bowl immediately comes to mind because Justin Fields was so good last year. I was really impressed uh, with the job Ryan Day did in making the transition as being the permanent head coach. I think Ohio State's going to be really, really good offensively. I think the thing that separates Clemson right now, and again, who knows who's going to be in the playoffs, but I mean, right. you've got to love Clemson's chances in every single game they play. They're going to be a favorite. Uh, but when you get a guy like Travis Etienne who's coming back, it's almost nothing seems fair. Uh, given how good he is, he's already a Sunday dude that wants more on Saturdays, which is awesome. And we know about Trevor Lawrence, the dude's just a baller, big-time great player. Uh, I think the thing that I'm excited about with Clemson football for 2020 the most is I thought last year Brent Venables did his best coaching job, and he's done some incredible jobs with teams from a defensive standpoint. But I, I thought he maximized that defense last year, which obviously the numbers were out of sight, but he had to play it differently versus what he's done in the past in terms of his defensive fronts, different schemes. Uh, again, Isaiah Simmons with that versatility gave him a lot of different options and looks that he could give people. But I'm getting a sense that from what I've read, again, I've not seen any practices or anything else like that. I've just talked to some coaches and so forth. But I get a sense that Clemson defensively, not necessarily the offensive part, because I know they're going to be good, but defensively, I think Brent Venables 
now has more to play with in terms of talent up front with that defensive line, which will kind of maybe look more like they've done in the past prior to the 2019 season. From that standpoint, that's what I'm excited about to see out of the Clemson football team in 2020 is what they now do defensively given their, their physical makeup as opposed to what they had last year, which was obviously really, really good. Pac-Man, always appreciate your time. Keep up the great work and can't wait to catch up with you again. All right, I got to get back to my new magic trick, man. You're not going to believe this one I'm working on. It's unbelievable. <laughs> Mark Packer. <laughs> Always great to catch up with the Pac-Man. We hit a quick break. We come back with more on the show that shakes the Southland. Lawton Swan hanging out with you here on a Thursday afternoon, the show that shakes the Southland. Appreciate Mark Packer for joining us. The magnificent Pac-Man uh, for being a part of the program. 803-450-0086. That's the way you can be a part of the program as well. 803-450-0086. And of course, yesterday we encouraged all of our listeners to, to hit us up, text us, let us know where you're listening. I don't know if we'll drop a pin in the map or not, but it sure will be a lot of fun to go through some of those with you here uh, on the show. And, you know, I asked Mark about uh, offenses that could keep up with Clemson in 2020, 2021 during the college football season. And, you know, I, I really think that that's a, a big part of uh, the success that Clemson had is twofold. I mentioned the numbers yesterday. Clemson playing in more games than any team in college football since 2017, but also giving up the least amount of points during that stretch, but this is a team that, in the Atlantic Coast Conference at least, has really distanced themselves from the competition in, in terms of keeping up with the Tigers uh, and the offensive assault that they put in place, and, and it's really improved, whether you go back to when Chad Morris was hired and, and came in all the way up to Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott directing the offense to the incredible stellar record that they did, and now the majority of that being left to Tony Elliott to take over the reins and, and go from there as the sole. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC offensive coordinator but you know when you think about the best offenses in college football over the past several years you, you take a prime example at LSU and the phenomenal numbers that they put up with Joe Brady as the offensive passing uh, the the offensive passing coordinator I guess you call it and then of course Steve Emsminger the offensive coordinator and and from that standpoint uh, Joe Burrow 
and the numbers that he put up with a plethora of wide receiver talent. Well, with Burrow gone to the NFL, Brady gone to the Carolina Panthers, all of a sudden, that really opens things up. And and not to mention the fact that I don't think a ton of people are, are buying into uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide this year as far as being this offensive juggernaut because you've got questions at quarterback at Alabama. Now, they're going to be loaded. The Crimson Tide are going to be loaded when it comes down to the running backs with Devontae Smith and Najee Harris. But uh, I think it's an unproven quarterback there in Mac Jones. And and from that standpoint, uh, I, I, I can't wrap my mind around, okay, can Alabama produce the type numbers offensively through the air to keep up with a team like Clemson who's going to be very versatile in the run and the pass? Now, defensively, this is a different conversation. But if we strictly focus on the offense, I think Alabama has to be considered a question mark in terms of whether or not offensively they would be able to keep up with the Clemson Tigers. Again, I think Mark's response that he feels like Ohio State with Justin Fields and everything that Ohio State has uh, on the docket coming into this year is certainly the top team I would suggest in terms of threatening Clemson from that standpoint. But it is really difficult for me to imagine that the best offense in all of college football is uh, in Tuscaloosa. And to believe that replacing guys like Henry Ruggs III, Jerry Judy is just going to be a, you know, a cookie cutter approach to me, is is something I'm just not quite sold on. Now, Clips has gotten some deficiencies, I think, or at least concerns up front because you just don't know exactly what that offensive line is going to work, uh, how that's going to work out and what it's going to look like. But I think if you go back and you get in the archives of some of our shows and you find the interview that we did with Sean Pollard, you'll hear Pollard, the former Clemson offensive lineman, tell you just how impressed he is with the guys that are coming through uh, on that offensive front and the job that Coach Robbie Caldwell uh, has done with them through the years. Now, offensively, another team that I think you got to at least throw out there uh, is the Oklahoma Sooners. And the byproduct of what Oklahoma has built so far uh, really has been this offensive assault that lacks the same type of punch that you see from Clemson, Alabama, LSU, Ohio State even. Uh, From that standpoint, on the defensive side of the ball, they really haven't had that. But they are a team that I think you've got to keep in mind. They lost CeeDee Lamb this past year, but Spencer Rattler there at quarterback should be a very good prospect potentially for them and and has a great opportunity in front of him. And then, of course, they've got Jaden Hazelwood, who they expected to be a, a big asset to this team at wide receiver coming into this season. Uh, his sophomore year, but he had a, a pretty significant leg injury during the offseason, and uh, there's no exact timeline of what point during the year he'll be able to get it back out there, but what we do know is Lincoln Riley has become an offensive uh, guru and, and, and mastermind. So when you start looking at the teams that could really threaten the Clemson Tigers, I think when you have a healthy Trevor Lawrence, you have a healthy Travis Etienne, you get a healthy Justin Ross, assuming everything goes well with him with the stinger issues that he was suffering. Justin Ross, assuming everything goes well with him with the stinger issues that he was suffering. And and quite frankly, it is a small, small list. I, I just don't know that outside of 
Ohio State and Oklahoma offensively. I don't know that I'm buying Alabama into that category right now. Now, they may put up a lot of points because their defense will probably dominate people. They'll the ball. They'll have a lot of possessions. That's different. It, it, it becomes different for me when you have to square up and face up against another top team, and then you have to do it against a team with a vaunted defense. And so, of course, when LSU and Alabama get together, that might be a little bit of a measuring stick game because there are still people that believe that that loss has, has a chance to be one of the better offenses in the country. But I, I think that speaks volumes about the level of competition out there to keep up with a team like Clemson. And that's kind of my bigger point. Who are the teams in your mind that you believe can keep up with the Clemson Tigers offensively this year? Forget everything else going on in the world of college football on the defensive side of the ball. If it's strictly offensive talent, who do you trust? Where do you go? Uh, Do you look at Georgia and Athens? I don't think so. I mean, this is no offense to a guy like Jamie Newman, but I just can't wrap my mind around the fact that a transfer quarterback from Wake Forest is going to be the guy that finally pushes Georgia over the top in terms of uh, the SEC and getting into the college football playoff and winning a national title and beating a team like Clemson heads up. I just I, I, I can't see that right now from where we sit. So who are those teams in your mind? Texas, 803-450-0086. Who can really compete with Clemson on the offensive side of the ball in 2021? We want to hear from you. We'll touch on this more when we get back. Clemson Sports Talk rolling along on a Thursday. Lawton Swan hanging out with you. We're talking about the best offenses in all the college football. You know, I think another interesting little side note to this conversation is Trevor Lawrence. And could Trevor Lawrence end up being the Heisman Trophy winner this year? I, look, I don't want to put the cart before the horse. I, I think you got a guy like Travis Etienne who's got a chance to be in contention. But when you, you know, really start to look at it, I think outside of a guy like Justin Fields at Ohio State, whose name we brought up a couple of times here, who who are the real threats from that standpoint to competing for the Heisman Trophy just out of the gate, like right now? I mean, that's the thing. If if we talk about guys that could emerge, yeah, there's there's plenty of names out there. But if you talk about like true front runners for that award, Trevor Lawrence is at the top of the list. And I don't think that in our in our in the history of covering Clemson football, or maybe in the that my life watching Clemson football, we've ever had another player. This includes CJ Spiller. This includes Deshaun Watson. I don't think that Clemson's ever had another guy who seemed more like a lock for that award and seemed like the guy that could win it by comparison to everybody in college football during this particular season. 
And yeah, there, there's all you know when, when Deshaun Watson is doing this thing, you got this Lamar Jackson figure out there putting up stupid numbers. Forget how how great Louisville was by comparison to Clemson or what they did. Heads up, Jackson's numbers were just absurd. Uh, Derrick Henry beat out Deshaun Watson. I think that was the, the the year. But even going into that season. I don't know that people nationally thought, hey, at least I don't remember. And maybe if I threw it in my Google machine, I'd find otherwise. But I don't think everybody was going, hey, that Deshaun Watson kid, that's probably going to be your your Heisman Trophy winner as a sophomore. I mean, that just that just wasn't the case. The case for Watson was really built around that following season, his junior year and his final year. But I don't know that we've ever seen a guy like Trevor Lawrence come into a year where it's not necessarily – Something that is a, you know, for sure type deal. But Lawrence has been as good as perhaps any quarterback that we've ever seen. You look at his overall record. You look at winning a national title as a freshman. The first guy to do that since 1985. You lead the team back to another undefeated season. You play in the national championship. You had your opportunities in that game, even though LSU and 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 maybe a point that we haven't discussed enough, or maybe a point that we didn't bring up, because it's not a show about excuses. Like you got shows in communities and 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 shows that cover teams that are just excuse laden over and over and over. But perhaps something we didn't focus on enough. But the more I think about it, the more I experienced it. The the advantage that LSU had playing that national championship game in New Orleans, in Louisiana, was immense. And that venue was slam-packed with LSU fans, and it was loud. It felt like a home game. I'm not going to lie to you. I've said it from day one. Go back, catch the archives. That game felt like a home game, but maybe I didn't give enough credit to that. You certainly didn't hear Clemson making excuses on that nature. You didn't hear the host of the show that shakes the Southland making excuses on that nature. But maybe that is something we should at least attribute a little bit more to what happened in that ball game after Clemson took a 17-7 to lead. Maybe, just maybe, uh, there was such a, a home field advantage in that environment for LSU that it allowed them to be able to overcome the Clemson Tigers in that standpoint. And that's a great LSU team, not to diminish them at all. But if you flipped it for just a second in your mind's eye and you put that game being played in, oh, I don't know, in Charlotte, and you had it sold out 60-30 or 60-40 or, or 70-30, whatever it ended up being, to Clemson fans, maybe up 17-7, to LSU can't do what they need to do offensively because they can't control the environment in the venue. They can't protect their offense from that standpoint. And so, uh, again, I, I don't know how much it weighed in on that front, but I think that's something to consider. But we have never seen a guy do the things at Clemson that Trevor Lawrence has done through his first two seasons and to be as efficient as he has been. And I know there are great debates out there whether or not uh, you'd take Deshaun Watson over Trevor Lawrence, this, that, and the other, and a lot of people lean DW4, uh, and, and I've got my theories on that more than anything, but what you have seen from Trevor Lawrence throughout his career is a, a young man that's fairly unflappable. Uh, he is a winner in his heart, and when he's down 17 to nothing against Ohio State, I think you saw, I, I think you really saw that. But outside of Justin Fields, I mean, who are some of the other names? I mentioned Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma earlier. 
He's a guy that that a lot of people have out there, or at least up there, because of Oklahoma's offensive proficiency. The fact that Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray have won uh, Heisman trophies uh, during their time, you know, in that offense is a, is a part of it. Yeah, you know, I I don't know who the other names would be. Honest to goodness, Sam Howell at North Carolina, uh-uh. Sam Ellinger at Texas, nope. Derek Stingley at, at LSU? Uh, yeah, I don't think so. I mean, even in this day and age where we're trying to get defenders hype and opportunity, uh, Stingley uh, not going to get there in my estimation, no matter how good he is for LSU. So if you really talk about offensive weapons, if you really talk about the, the world of college football as we know it today, the odds that somebody slips up and beats out a Trevor Lawrence for the Heisman Trophy, and the guy is not named Justin Fields, or the guy is not named somebody like Travis Etienne who should put up pretty big numbers on the ground, it's hard not to imagine that the first Heisman Trophy winning player in Clemson history isn't at least on this team right now, and the odds-on favorite to win it in 2020-2021 would have to be Trevor Lawrence. And I don't know that outside of Justin Fields, there's anybody else that's really going to challenge him. I mean, seriously, coast to coast. Who can challenge Clemson on the offensive side of the ball? It's a huge question. It's an even bigger task. And who really can compete outside of Justin Fields with Trevor Lawrence for the Heisman Trophy? It is the show that shakes the Southland Clemson sports taught Lawton Swan. Again, we were talking about the great players in the country and you know who could compete and challenge Clemson offensively, who could compete and challenge Trevor Lawrence, Tim Bray coming up in hour number two. And again, thank you to Mark Packer. Uh, there was some news, though, that came out. I just had a chance to look over at our buddies over at dogpost.com, one of our sister sites uh, in the F5 network, along with Tex Ags, Tiger Bait. Uh, and many others, uh, some news out of Athens, Georgia today that, that could be could be pretty significant depending on uh, what happens with his eligibility. But former five-star quarterback JT Daniels, who was at Southern Cal, uh, has made his way to Athens. He'll be transferring in. So according to our guys over there at Dog Post, it's really unforeseen right now whether or not Daniels will be eligible but he would be eligible to, to work out and practice, would certainly put some heat on graduate transfer quarterback Jamie Newman if he were to be eligible to play. And you're talking about a kid that's really yet to materialize in terms of what the expectations were for him coming out of high school. Of course, he was beaten out for the starting job there at uh, Southern Cal. He tore his ACL and his meniscus in the season opener. And and ultimately, uh, that really gave Keaton Slovis a chance to move up on on the pecking order. And uh, now you got a kid who's a five-star quarterback heading to Georgia. And if he were eligible to play, would have a chance to be pretty impactful 
you would believe uh, this year. Um, now, is that going to compete with some of the things we've talked about? Is that going to change the complexion of the Georgia Bulldog offense in my estimation? Too soon to tell, but when you start to go through the SEC and when you start to look at the the best quarterbacks in that league, I mean, honest to goodness, it's amazing that you can have a conference that is as good as it is, but really this season to pinpoint the the best quarterback and a quarterback that you would be most comfortable with, I just, you know, I, I don't know who that is. And if Jamie Newman is the guy, what does that say that's a Wake Forest transfer? I think Sam Howell at, at North Carolina would be considered a better quarterback. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence would be considered a better quarterback uh, than virtually everybody in that league. And Justin Fields is a guy who was in that league in Athens that's now at Ohio State and a kid that I think most of us consider to be one of the top four or five quarterbacks uh, this year. So it's it's crazy, I think, from the standpoint of now guys can transfer, guys can gain eligibility and not have to sit out a year, and, and I guess that could be the case. But uh, this is a kid who was second behind Trevor Lawrence in terms of that 2018 recruiting class. And for for Georgia fans, I, I think that not okay. I, I you know I don't want, listen. I'm not a Georgia guy. You can hunker down where you want, you hairy dogs. I'm not a Georgia guy, but I've got to imagine that. Jamie Newman being the next, you know, the next big name didn't exactly light up the forums over on Dog Post. I can't imagine that was like, yes. And again, that, that shouldn't even really be a slight to Jamie Newman because he's a heck of an athlete. Uh, he's a versatile quarterback. He's, he's big. He can run the ball. Uh, you know, he's he, he's he's a dynamic football player, but he doesn't he doesn't pop. He doesn't pop. And so from from that standpoint, JT Daniels pops. JT Daniels makes you go, oh, okay. Okay, if this guy plays up to his potential, now we got something. I mean, if Jamie Newman played quote-unquote, up to his potential, I I don't know how excited you are about what you get. I just, I, I don't know how excited you really could be about it. I think if JT Daniels plays up to his potential, if you're the Georgia Bulldogs, you're very excited about uh, what you could get from that young man. Again, you could be a part of the program, 803-450-0086. Text us anytime, anyplace, anywhere. We've asked you to send us your messages to tell us where you're listening to the program. Chris chimes in, listening to us uh, in California. He says, I heard you say the other day that you lived in Johnstone F for a year. He said, I spent three years on the F1 in F1 back in the late 80s when it was the soccer hall. He said, that place breeded the largest cockroaches ever. Great times in Johnstone. His son is now a Clemson student and lived in Johnstone as a freshman. He says the smell was the same as it was back in the 80s. Yeah, I actually did three years as well in Johnstone. 
was in Johnstone F3 for a year, two years, and then went and lived in F1 for one year. And wouldn't trade those times, man. It was so much fun living in that that dorm, all the history. I always thought I'd go back. I thought I'd take my kids back and show them, look, son, this is, yeah, knock on that door. Talk to the kids that lived in the place. Say, hey, guys, I lived here in 1995. Good to meet you. Instead, nope, de- demolished. I was showing my niece, who's a freshman up at Clemson. Be a, she'll be a sophomore. I was showing her. She was like, so where was your dorm exactly? And I'm trying to show her. And I'm like, it's right here on the new core campus. Yeah, it's not so exciting anymore. <laughs> I, I like the old style, even though I guarantee you the new stuff's really nice. And I would have loved living there. It was something about walking into Johnstone and knowing that my great-grandfather, you know, and other people had lived in those dorms. Those dorms had been around. We found an old Clemson, you know, the Tiger newspaper in between the two rooms. We took out the, there was the little wall separating the two rooms. We we took out one of the dividers in the cabinet. There was an old newspaper stuff back in there, old Tiger from like the 60s. It was awesome. We had a quick break. Speaking of awesome, we're going to reminisce with Tim Beret, Clemson Google here. We're going to talk about Bob Bradley and much more in our number two. Stay with us for more of the show that shakes the Southland. It's time for Clemson Sports Talk with Lawton Swan. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. Midi clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code program. Just call me Swanee. Is our number two. That's drive time right here on the show that shakes the Southland. Lawton Swan hanging out with you. And of course, legendary Clemson SID Tim Beret stepping in to hang out with us here on the program today. Tim, my man, hope you're doing well. Glad to have you on. 
<clears throat> doing fine, Lawton. How you doing? Oh, well, fantastic. I'll be honest. I had uh, uh, one of your old colleagues over there, uh, Mark Packer, on a little bit earlier, diving in. He's somewhat uh, of a magician. I don't know if you knew that or not. He does some. He's a card trick kind of guy. Yeah, I think I remember him doing some things like that, yes. Uh, we lived together from 1986 to 1989. It seems like uh, he might have done some of that. Yeah, that I asked him. I said, Mark, what have you done kind of in this downtime to, to get you through? He said, Swanee, I'll be honest, I've been working on my card tricks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Tim, listen, last week uh, you and I were talking, and you said to remind you – about Bob Bradley and to talk about uh, Bob Bradley and Brent Musburger and the most exciting 25 seconds in college football. Now, over the weekend, I spent some time down at, at the beach at my sister's house, and I got a chance to watch some old documentaries on Clemson football. And I really wanted to focus today on Bob Bradley, that story, and, and just sort of you know what he has meant to Clemson in terms of uh, his role. But First and foremost, let's go back to Bob Bradley and Brent Musburger and the most exciting 25 seconds in college football. Break down that story for our listeners, if you will. Yeah, it kind of is. It's an um, interesting story. Um, so in, in 1985, uh, CBS was coming to Clemson to do the Georgia game. It was going to be the first time they did a national broadcast from Clemson. Now, they, CBS had done a uh, Boston College game in 1982, but it was not a national broadcast. So Brent and Era, or Seijin, came to uh, to do the game. And so, uh, you know, as we always do, the they still do today, the Friday before the game, the announcers will be with the home team coach and some players. And uh, so Coach Ford invited – Brent and Era to come to walkthrough. Now, walkthrough in the 80s was not that big of a deal. A little bit bigger deal today because Coach Sweeney and other coaches will actually, you know, go through their walk to walk through their scripted plays. In the 1980s, the Friday practice was kind of like a touch football game for the linemen, uh, you know, just to go out and get a little bit of a, a sweat up. They really didn't do, uh, you know, any plays or whatever. So anyway. It gives familiarity for the announcers to see the players uh, up in, in, up close and personal. So, and they can talk to them a little bit. So anyway, so during that walkthrough, uh, Brent Musburger uh, asked Bob Bradley to give him the complete story of the history of running down the hill, how it came about. And so, um, towards the end of that conversation, as you can probably picture, Musburger you know, kind of going off, and, and, and he said to Mr. Bradley, ah, Bob, it's the most exciting 25 seconds in college football. And so, and I was there when he said it, but it wasn't it wasn't like we, we kind of laughed and thought, oh, that's great. And, and so, um, but the next day, Musburger never said that on the air, and he never said it in subsequent broadcasts, but it was Mr. Bradley who took that quote and he retold that story to everybody. We put it in the press guide. And because of Mr. Bradley telling everybody about that uh, and his brilliance, that that would be a great uh, quote uh, that the, uh, that, you know, that that term um, took off. So 
fast forward to 2013 for the Georgia game, um, and Coach Ford was going in the Ring of Honor, and uh, ESPN wanted to really blow out the tradition of running down the hill, and they put Brent on the PA, actually, and they piped it in with the broadcast. And so he said it uh, there that, you know, 25 years ago, I called this the most exciting 25 seconds in college football. You know, here they are, the Clemson Tigers, you know, whatever he said. So uh, it, it came up a lot because subsequent years, I got a lot of producers who said, I want to find where Musburger said that. And I said, you're not going to find it. He never said it on a broadcast. He just said it to Mr. Bradley the day before a uh, on a uh, on a walkthrough. But it was Mr. Bradley's brilliance to uh, to tell everybody about it that 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 made it what it is today. You know, thinking about what that moment meant, it, it just kind of it, it sort of tells the story of what makes college football so special for fans because of that base back to being an alum. But then those traditions that, you know, the Masters has their say in their tradition, unlike any other, that's sort of what that that, you know, that statement feels like to Clemson Tiger fans. And I'm sure you hear that a lot. Yeah, that's a really good analogy. Uh, very good, uh, very good point. There's no, uh, you know, no doubt about it. And um, uh, you know, but you know, when they, if anybody ever wonders why Mr. Bradley's on the Ring of Honor, that's just one of the, uh, you know, it's just just one of the examples. Well, you know, I look back at, at my time at, at Clemson and some of those legendary names, and and Mr. Bradley would have been there uh, then. But you've talked about his influence as he went through his career and was sort of passing that torch to you. Do you have some wonderful stories or memories uh, of y'all's experience together that you could share with our listeners? Um, it was kind of more of a, just a general, uh, just the way he, uh, treated people, treated the media, um, you know, for instance, he always carried a um, jumper cables in his car so he could bail out a sports rider whose car wouldn't start <laughs> after he had covered a game. And I'm telling you, there were a lot of times he went down there and he had to jump start uh, uh, a guy's uh, guy's car. Uh, but that's just talk about being a full service sports information director, but that's the way he was. One thing I've always done that I learned from him is I always kept put a football guide in the trunk of my car because you never know when you were going to get a call or somebody wanted to know something. And, <laughs> you know, I've, I've had that many times where Coach Sweeney had texted me and I'm out somewhere and I, I can pull over and get the football guide out of the trunk and look up what he wanted like he wanted to know, but I got that from, from Mr. Uh, you know, from Mr. Bradley, but in general, um, you know, just the way he always, uh, treated people and, uh, just, just observing, um, you know, when he'd go to the ACC tournament or go to a bowl game or, or the sports information convention, just to see how he, uh, he treated people. That was, that would be his legacy and what I learned from him. Tim Bray here on Clemson Sports Talk. I think, Tim, another thing that's very incredible uh, about his career and, and your career, and we kind of touched on this a little bit last week, but, you know, a lot of people may not realize, I mean, 
Bob Bradley started as a Clemson student in the early 40s. And to think about the fact that that would have been just on the, the heels of, of Banks McFadden and to be able to you know, connect that lineage from that era through you to now a young Ross Taylor who's kind of assumed that role, uh, it, it really, to, to span that length of time, it just has to be rare in that business. Yeah, it, it certainly is beneficial. I mean, uh, uh, Mr. Bradley started as a freshman at Clemson in 1941. He became the sports information director in October of 1955. And then I joined him in uh, September of 78. We overlapped in a full-time capacity for 11 years, but he, uh, he was, uh, he, you know, he continued to work on a part-time basis all the way to the 2000 and then I retired in 2018. So between 1955 and 2018, it was just the, you know, the two of us. So we were, we, we, you know, saw a lot and experienced a lot. And so, um, yeah, I try to hang around and, uh, and help, uh, Ross because there is so much to do with the history of the place when you're a sports information, um, um, director. Uh, I, you know, I do want to mention, since I know you're in Columbia, Tom Price provided the same role at the uh, at the University of uh, of, uh, of South Carolina, and their subsequent sports information directors have done a good job, and they've had a lot of continuity in their uh, in their office too. And I think that is, uh, you know, that is important. Hanging out with Tim Bray here, taking a look back at some of the legends in Clemson history, and. You know, on one of these documentaries I watched this weekend, they, they were talking about Frank Howard and, and uh, you know, just what he was like as a coach and, and being around him. He passed away my freshman year, uh, that January after we arrived on campus. Uh, but from your standpoint, you know, in 1978, right, when you arrived at Clemson, I mean, he would have had a huge tenure already. What was your relationship like with Coach Howard? Can you share some of those uh, early memories of you know getting to meet him right when you were getting started? Well, of course, um, you know he and he and Bob Bradley were very very close. Mister Bradley was his SID for the last fifteen seasons that he was the uh, the head coach, but uh, you know Mister B knew him from when he was a, a student. Mr. Bradley, he jokingly, but I guess it was kind of true. In 1948, when Clemson had an undefeated season, Mr. Bradley had come back from the war and was the sports editor of the Tiger. And as he said, I I went to every game that year and flunked out of school. (laughs) (laughs) He put a little too much emphasis on covering those football games, but uh, he, he did come back and and uh, and get his degree, um, but uh, you know, I think Frank Howard always looked at Mr. Bradley would be a perfect, you know, sports information director when he was uh, ready and when he got his got his degree. Actually, was the alumni association secretary for a while before uh, Brent Breeden uh, left. Brent's still going strong, by the way, living in uh, living in in Columbia. He was Clemson's SID back to 1954. He's in his 90s now. Well, I, I, um, but yeah, Frank Howard and but Frank Howard and and, uh, and Mr. Bradley had a close relationship. So when I came aboard, 
you know, I had some interaction, but when Frank Howard ever wanted anything or Mr. Bradley was going to write something, you know, he, he, you know, he got with coach, uh, coach Howard, but I did spend some time talking with him about the old days. And when he, he'd sit in the press box for every, uh, um, every game, uh, when that he was healthy for until he passed away in 1996. Well, and that was the other thing I was going to say is that at some point, and I don't know what that point is in a tenure, and and maybe you you reached that point during your forty years there at Clemson. Uh, even after you've retired, you still have an office. You still maintain a space and around it. And I can remember just in my little short amount of time at Clemson, uh, you know, seeing Frank Howard around occasionally. And so from from that standpoint, I think about you know the. I guess the uniqueness of how people who give their lives in the majority of their lives to a university and to a program, um, how they are still sort of like Danny Ford, still very much celebrated for the most part amongst the people. Oh yeah, without a doubt. And, and coach Howard did have an office. I mean, he needed an office and until he passed away, uh, um, on the first floor of the Jervy F, uh, athletic center. Um, and he, you know, he, you know, he would, uh, uh, you know, he, he would get so many, uh, calls or whatever. He talked to a lot of sports writers about history. And then he, he sold this, uh, this, uh, uh, football, uh, pamphlet called the kickoff that had all the scores on it. And he sold advertising. He always said he made more money doing that than when he was the head football coach at, uh, <laughs> at Clemson. But there were a lot of times, you know, it was good. It was great that he was around because something would come up that happened in the fifties that, uh, uh, we needed to, and he had, a, he had a great mind. He recalled, you know, stuff. And so he was, he was a great, uh, source of information. Yeah, I, I didn't see him much, but I, I I do remember a couple of occasions bumping into him, and and it was just so awesome uh, to you know because again it was like the first time. I mean, I can remember, and I think I may have told you this before. I can remember the first time I ran into Jim Phillips. I was in Little John Coliseum, and I was just standing there, and I heard him talking to somebody. It was as if the voice of God, who had told me everything about my college football games my entire life were standing before me because that's really the way I consume those things. And, you know, guys like that, it just, it's different now because of uh, the access that we have. And and Tim Beret here with us every Thursday, taking a look back at Clemson and and Clemson sports. And Tim, I'll ask you about one more name I mentioned earlier, uh, Banks McFadden. Uh, Again, he was, you know, in his eighties, I guess, when I was at Clemson, but just your recollection of your memories of, of some of the times that you got to spend around around a, what, All-American in both basketball and football, I believe. I mean, unbelievable athlete. Yeah, he was an unbelievable athlete at track uh, also. Um, but, yeah, when I first came to Clemson, he was actually towards the end of his career. He, he, uh, he was the head of the intramural de- uh, department. He had been – an assistant coach for, uh, of course, he was the head basketball coach uh, until the uh, 50s, and then he was a, a full-time assistant backfield coach for Frank Howard. You know, during uh, during that uh, that time. But by the time I got there, he was in charge. He and Fred Cohn were in charge of the intramural uh, uh, department. But he was just a wonderful guy. Always had a smile on his face. Um, just had unbelievably great. Uh, 
great stories and then but it was even more so the stories that other people told about him and you know what he did and to you know to be so terrific in football and basketball and be an all-american and and both sports is just uh is just an inc- incredible what he was uh what he was able to do I know you're a huge Notre Dame historian, Tim, and a Notre Dame fan, but if for the casual Clemson observer to hear you talk about your time with Fred Cohn, your time with Frank Howard, your time you know, with Banks McFadden and, and, and Bob Bradley, do, do you ever just sit back and, and really recognize uh, what your, you know, your memories mean to Clemson people? Well, yeah, I, just by what we're talking about now, I mean, just reflecting on the stories that, uh, you know, Frank Howard and Banks McFadden and, and Bob Bradley uh, told, and, and fortunately I've been able to uh, write a lot of them down in a couple of books that, that, I've, that I've done, and, and hopefully that, uh, you know, creates a lasting memory for, for people because it is important to document the history of uh, – what's going on at a, uh, at an institution and in, in, in everything, every part of the institution, but in particular, you know, in, in my area in, in athletics, and there's so much interest in, in, in athletics in, in this state. And now what we've done in, in football now under coach Sweeney, um, it certainly puts things in, uh, in perspective. So, uh, so yeah, I'm glad I've been a part of it and glad I've been, been around for, for a long time. Tim, thank you again for sharing those stories as you do every Thursday. We look forward to it every week and uh, hope you have a great week and look forward to catching up with you next Thursday afternoon. You too, Lawton. Thanks. Tim Beret, the stories that man could tell about your Clemson Tigers. Unbelievable. A text message from John listening to the program in Archdale. He says, uh, Brent Musburger was in the first Friday parade too. You know, I have a book around here. Uh, somewhere, John, that um, has the photo of Air Parsegian and, and Brent, uh, almost called him Venables, uh, Brent Musburger being the, um, what are they called, the the marshals? Is that what you call the people kind of being the, the main people in the parade? Uh, and also, by the way, John, I appreciate you calling me Mr. College Football too, Mr. CFB too. Uh, that's awesome. Oh, man, 803-450-0086. That's your text line. Uh, let's see, Tiger Too Deep chiming in. Uh, says he remembers that game like it was yesterday. I'm not sure which one that Tim brought up, Tiger Too Deep, that you uh, talk about. The Grand Marshal. There it is, John. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> yes, my man. We hit a break. We come back with more right after this. Clemson Sports Talk, the show that shakes the Southland. Always great to catch up with Tim Beret. And, you know, thinking about Bob Bradley and those conversations that we got to have with Tim just a few minutes ago, it, it really, you know, that whole interview kind of piqued my interest and got me thinking about the, the great legendary figures in Clemson sports history and the guys that, that I would have liked to have had a chance to sit down with and, and and talk about their playing days because, you know, for me, I grew up on the 1980s. 
I grew up on William the Refrigerator Perry. I grew up on Rodney Williams. I grew up on Terry Allen. I grew up on Danny Ford. I grew up on those players. They were the ones that defined my youth. But there were other guys out there, you know, guys like Frank Howard, guys like guys like Banks McFadden, legendary players, legendary coaches, individuals who I never really got a chance to sit down and talk to. And I, I, I really wish that I had that chance. I really wish I had a chance to, you know, learn more about their thoughts on Clemson. And wouldn't it be cool if you could sit down with Frank Howard today and hear his thoughts on what Clemson's become? Because I, I think that that would be such a, a Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Unique. Take. I was a freshman at Clemson. It was just after we returned to campus, my freshman year, as a matter of fact, that Frank Howard died. And I don't recall at any point during that six, eight-month window that I was at Clemson that I ever got a chance or experienced running into Frank Howard at Clemson. I, I don't recall... Like in my mind, I have one vision, and I, 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 you, you know how you have these things occasionally, where you can't remember if it actually happened, if it happened to someone else, but in my brain, I replay this one moment uh, over in Jervy, and I mentioned to you here on the show several weeks ago that one of the things I used to do when I was on the North floor working with John Saketa, and this was all voluntary, is we would go over to Jervy early, way early before the games. We'd roll T-shirts that they were going to throw out during the game. And so I remember one day being over in Jervy. And this is one, again, this is one of those memories that could be a, a vivid dream, but I feel so, it feels so real. And I was running around the corner to go, I can't remember, like when you're in, when you're in the old, when you're in the old Jervy area, uh, they had like the national championship, the, the Orange Bowl trophy sitting in there and like this in case. It was a big celebration of Clemson University sports history and memorabilia. And they had like a, this juice stand, you know, kind of like this was a bit would have been the early version of the protein shake, you know, stand. And so I was running over that way to grab something. And I came around the corner and just about hit a uh, coach. And that's kind of my memory, Coach Howard. And that's kind of my memory of that facility. But whether or not it's a dream, whether or not it happened, I still kind of struggle with from that standpoint, but I would have loved the opportunity to sit down and talk with those guys, 
uh, to do the things that we've been able to do with Tommy Bowden and, and Danny Ford and to to hear their thoughts on the state of the program and, and where it is. But, you know, if you could go back and talk with uh, a guy like Banks McFadden is another prime example. Banks McFadden, as a matter of fact, my grandfather was in college at Clemson with Banks McFadden in the late 30s, early 40s. And my granddad always said that there were two individuals, uh, two students on campus who had cars. Now, this could have been an exaggeration. He said it was him and Banks McFadden. And guys would always want to ride uh, to and fro from that standpoint. And certainly parking would have been a lot different on campus back in those days. But, you know, when you get a chance to see the videos of, of a guy like Banks McFadden, you know, an individual who not only starred at Clemson on the gridiron, but Bonnie Banks McFadden also taking care of business on the hardwood. His jersey retired, folks, in both sports. You're talking about a guy that was a, the, the fourth pick in the 1940 NFL draft. You're talking about a, a, a guy who was named the Associated Press Athlete of the Year. Not not the Clemson Athlete of the Year. The Associated Press named him the Athlete of the Year. Two-time All-American in basketball. Ran, named him the Athlete of the Year. Two-time All-American in basketball. Ran track. Lettered at Clemson in track as well. You know, we we do these interviews from time to time with so many great guys. Like, we we talked with Mark Packer earlier. We've gone into the archives. We've dug up interviews with Steve Fuller, etc. Sometimes I wish, and I, I think, you know, I mentioned my granddad a few minutes ago. I, I want to commend him on this. My granddad would, you know, my great-grandmother was born in the late 1800s. And she died in the early 90s. When she was in her 90s, like 98. Well, she would tell stories. And and to my grandfather's credit, and he has since passed away. He passed away in the 90s as well. He would record those stories. And she hated it. I mean, I can remember she would get so angry. Well, not angry, but you know, it, it, it would frustrate her that he was recording her. But now for me to have some of those tapes, to be able to go back to listen... And I, I, I just wish that from the standpoint of human history, and this is maybe a, a little sentimental here, but I wish from the standpoint of human history, we had had the ability to record, whether audio or video, of not just the great historical figures through Clemson history and their stories, even when they were playing, like to go way back, you know, to have video footage and, and audio of Banks McFadden telling stories from yesteryear. So I'll take it even further with the h- historical perspective back to the earliest days of the founding of the United States of America. But man, some of those great names at Clemson Sports History, I'd love to have had a chance to sit down and interview, no doubt, Banks McFadden and Frank Howard. <laughs> Hey, 
It is the show that shakes the Southland Clemson Sports Talk. Lawton Swan along for the ride with you here on a Thursday. Always good to be a part of your life on Twitter at Clemson Sports. That's Clemson News Notes information and more 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Again, the website, ClemsonSportsTalk.com. And, you know, bringing up some of those names got, got me thinking back again more and more about uh, the historical perspective of college football. And kudos first to ESPN for their 30 for 30 series. Kudos to the SEC Network for their SEC story series. Kudos to the ACC Network for the work that they've done to put together those incredible, awe-inspiring, archived footage, videos, etc. That stuff is, it is, it is much must-see viewership most of the time. It's it's absolutely must see viewership during the COVID nineteen situation because you don't have anything else really great to watch anyway, and you don't have live sports. You might as well dig into those archives and, and learn a little bit. But I I do want to re- remind you if you do not know of this series and and for, I don't know why it's not readily available. There was a series that was produced called The Rights of Autumn. And it was the story of college football. And ESPN, I think at one point, they they partnered with Lionsgate. Doing some research here on social media, I am finding that apparently this is now available on YouTube. So that's a positive but it's rights, R-I-T-E-S, of autumn. And this is a historical look at college football. And some of those legendary names and stories that you've heard are shared in this video, including one of my favorites of all time, and I've told you this one before. It's been several years since I talked about it, but there was an announcer, I, I can't recall his name, I'll see if I can dig it up briefly, but if if I can't come up with it, it's okay. Um, essentially, what would happen is, so the play is breaking out, and back then, you know, the the play by play guys, they were your eyes and ears when radio dominated sports coverage. The play by play man, what was your eyes and ears? And so, essentially, what would happen is, is something like this, and 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 Don Munson. You know who who's the play-by-play man for Clemson has a tough task right now with, or at least previously, with a guy like T. Higgins wearing number five and Justin Ross wearing number eight. Why is that a tough task? Well, because one, they frame up almost identical. I mean, they both are like six five, two hundred and twenty-five pounds. They look very similar on the field. And their jerseys, the jersey number, the shape is eerily similar as well. So there's more than once I've heard Don Munson on a call say, what a great catch by Justin Ross, only to find out that it was T. Higgins at no fault of his own outside of just misseeing, perhaps, who had the ball. Well, the way this would work would be eerily similar to that circumstance for a guy uh, for a guy like uh, Don Munson, except he would th- this play-by-play man 
would fix it on the fly. So essentially, it would it would look something like this. Trevor Lawrence drops back to pass. He's got Justin Ross in the flats. Now, at that moment, when the announcer realized that, uh-oh, that's not Justin Ross with the ball. That's T. Higgins. At that moment in this, you know, when there was no television to tell you otherwise, when there was no other reason for you to believe of what was taking place other than what the announcer would tell you, he would create what they call a phantom lateral. And so what this phantom lateral was would have gone back to what I just said. Justin Ross makes the catch in the flats, and he pitches it back to T. Higgins. And now T. Higgins is sprinting down the sidelines into the end zone. Touchdown, Tigers. T. Higgins. And so he just created the play that he needed to take place. Even if it took him a while, he may not realize it right out of the gate. I mean, it could have been something. It could have been like this. Trevor Lawrence drops back to pass. Oh, he's got Justin Ross wide open over the middle. Justin Ross makes a man miss at the 45. He pitches it back to T. Higgins. T. Higgins at the 40. Higgins at the 30, the 20. Higgins at the 10, the 5. Touchdown, T. Higgins. So that when you got home from the game and your buddy said, man, did you see that T. Higgins touchdown? It matched up. Now, if they ask about the pitch back, it might throw it off. But for the majority of people, that would have sufficed. And that would have made that. And and so then it just becomes one of those things that made the storylines of college football and storytelling of college football during that era really, really incredible. And so if you get time again, it looks like the entire series is over on YouTube. I didn't realize that because I, when I said not readily available, I was thinking, why is this not on ESPN streaming platform? Why is this not something that that you can find on Netflix? But apparently it's on YouTube, The Rights of Autumn. It's, I think, a 10-part series, if my memory serves me correctly on that. It's been many years since I've watched it. And and selfishly, not enough Clemson. It would be awesome if they'd redo this thing to bring it a little bit more up to speed and, and make it a bit more relevant. But if you are a college football fan and you're looking for something to consume during these days, uh, the Rights of Autumn series is a phenomenal watch, in my estimation. 803-450-0086. If you remember that series or you've seen it, feel free to text us, never while you're driving. You can also call us and leave us a message. I don't care when you call. I don't care where you call from. Leave us a message. We'll do our best to work you into the show uh, at some portion with your audio. So come hot. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't come with no weak sauce. Bring the heat. Come be a part of the program again. It, it, it is the show that shakes the Southland. Clemson Sports Talk. Lawton Swan on a Thursday afternoon. Again, really fun uh, getting a chance to hang out with uh, Tim Bure earlier and uh, reminisce just a little bit. The Rights of Autumn is the series you want to try to catch it. As a matter of fact, I'll probably try to see if I can watch it all on YouTube myself. I think you'll really enjoy it. Final segment, we'll put a bow on the show next. What have you done for me lately? It's a fair question. Just don't lose sight of the bigger picture. Don't forget history. Lucky for us at Clemson. 
The answer to the questions, what have you done for me lately, and what have you done always, are the same. segment on the Thursday, Lawton Swan, the show that shakes the Southland. Thank you to Tim Bray. Thank you to my man, Mark Packer. And thank you to yourself for being a part of this show. So many people chiming in so many different ways. Uh, I am working diligently right now uh, to get a video feed that's up over on ClemsonSportsTalk.com as well. You know, we used to stream it over there. That'll also have a private chat room. We'd love to have you subscribe. Come support us. $63.17. That's it. One year, 18 cents a day. If you think this show is worth 18 cents a day, then come on over and, and support us. Help us grow. Again, ClemsonSportsTalk.com, where not only do we have old archived interviews, do we have archived shows, we have other interviews, recruiting, coverage, everything. If you think this is a Wix site or a... Of a, or a uh, who else make WordPress wrong, fully customized. You will not believe it. ClemsonSportsTalk.com. I hate typing, Swanee. ClemsonRadio.com will save you a couple of keystrokes. ClemsonRadio.com. On Twitter, at ClemsonSports. We're on TikTok, too. <laughs> yeah, TikTok, something I never thought I'd say on the air. Uh, and also uh, Instagram, at ClemsonSports.com. Talk. So, a couple of final things here to get to uh, from the text line as well. John in Archdale says, Swanee, have you ever seen the old Walter Cronkite show and you were there? I haven't, John, to be honest with you. It sounds like it would be similar to... It sounds like it would be similar to old... Uh, what was old boy's show back in the day and now Paul Harvey and now you know the rest of the story I'm Paul Harvey good day I used to <laughs> it's like like that was must listen radio when I was a kid and the thing I don't know about Paul Harvey and this I'll, I'll throw out there for you guys to remind me or, or whatever because I was pretty young uh, when that show was on was that a, a daily show I sure I could research it. I'm sure it's on on Wikipedia. Was that a daily show though? Was that a weekend, weekly little thing? Was it like an hour? Was it a three hour show? Like I don't remember. I just remember he would come on. He would tell us a story about a farmer who you know happened to bump into a a cow, start a dairy farm, and the next thing you know, he created Hershey syrup. Good day. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. My parents listen to that stuff. But when you were a kid, it was, there was something about it. And now you know the rest of the story. That sounds similar, John. I'll have to look into Walter Cronkite 
and you are there. You know, I think it speaks to maybe my age. I I don't honestly remember Walter Cronkite really being a big figure in the news. Not not a whole lot for me. I th- I, I think Dan Rather was the guy or Tom Brokaw. Those were the guys. I don't remember Cronkite to the degree that maybe people a little bit older than I would have uh, remembered him. So appreciate that message. I also got a, another message a few minutes ago, and I can't. Oh, I know where it was. Found it. Uh, this was uh, from Spencer. He said, Swanee, what are your thoughts about the Premier League returning June the 17th? Excitement. Thankful. I, I know I've been critical of venues without fans. But uh, to know that the Premier League's coming back, uh, my son's a big Liverpool guy. I've been a Liverpool guy. Getting that back will be great. And I saw um, some other leagues. The league over in Italy is going to fire up on June 20th. So it does seem like we are, again, as Mark Packer said earlier, uh, taking some steps back towards normalcy. And that's good. That's good. And again, I know there are some people out there who are so frustrated by the fact that we we did what we did to mitigate. But I posted way back in March, you know, and I, I'll probably mess this quote up before we go off the air, but we'll never know if what we did was enough. But we would certainly know if we didn't do enough, so to speak. And I think that, you know, the efforts that we all put in collectively uh, were good. And I, my hope is that the return to normalcy will not see uh, this a significant impact on the medical system, uh, on our society. And my hope is that with good hygiene practices and social distancing and, and things of that nature. We could continue to keep the curve low, but get back to normal. That's my hope. It's been my hope from day one. I've doubted and debated and gone back and forth, but I've put my date on June 1st and you know, that's right around the bend. So we'll see what it looks like then, but on May 28th, Swanee feels like we are taking steps in the right direction, and that's a great thing. Again, thank you to our guests. Thank you for being a part of the program. Tomorrow, incredibly, we'll put a bow on the entire week. It'll be the Friday edition of the show that shakes the Southland. It is unbelievable. People thought this thing would go slow. Are you kidding me? We're flying through weeks here on this program, and we're thankful that you're a part of it. Until tomorrow, as always, y'all take care now, and go Tigers!